Let's get into God's Word together this morning. I want to start at the end of chapter 12. So if you're looking at Hebrews 13, especially if you're in your phone, maybe just scroll up a touch. We're going to catch those last two verses of chapter 12, and then we're going to read ourselves into 13. Okay. Oh my word, I'm in Ezekiel 45. That's not even, that's not even close. Okay, let's try again. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. May God bless the reading of his word. Okay, 1986. Some of you can't even imagine 1986, but all right. 1986, Emmaus Baptist Church was established here as a, as a church family in this area. 1986, a book was published called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. I don't know. Anybody read All I Really Need to Know? I learned, I've, I've heard about it. I've never actually read it. Okay. In the room, how many kindergartners do we have? Anybody in kindergarten in the room that would claim to be in kindergarten? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were thinking this morning, let's do this, let's do this. How many of you went to half-day kindergarten? Anybody go to half-day kindergarten? Yeah, we turned out great uh, from half-day kindergarten. So I loved half-day kindergarten. I have no idea what my parents did with me the other half of the day, but we did, we did half-day kindergarten back in, back in the day growing up. And so some people told me this morning, I didn't even go to kindergarten. It wasn't even an option as I was coming through, but we did, we did half-day kindergarten. Here's what we want to do at Emmaus. As we talk about the Bible, as we talk about the things of the Lord, there are some complicated things that you find in the Bible. There's some hard questions you run into in faith. But as we explain Scripture, we want to do the best we can to explain Scripture in a way that our kids can understand it. Because when our kids can understand it, let's be honest, it's probably better for us as adults as well. Because sometimes as adults, when we come into church, we come in having to pretend that we know more than we actually do. And sometimes we just need some of those things described or explained in a way that we can understand. Okay, kids, I know a lot of you in the room, preschool up through sixth grade, a lot of you picked up a piece of paper as you were coming into the room. And if you got one of those pieces of paper, at the top are three circles. Here's what I would love for you to do. I would love for you to draw these shapes that are up here. Because as you learn to draw these shapes, and adults, it's good for you as well if you picked up some sermon notes, nothing wrong with that. You can draw it on another piece of paper. Start up there in the top left. And in that top left circle, you're just going to draw a little arrow pointing up. And that arrow is meant to help us think about God. The way God has designed the world and designed your life. And so you draw that arrow up there in the top left. Then you draw an arrow that comes off to the right. Because every person on earth at some time has turned away from God. And we call that sin. When we go our own way, when we say, I'm going to go and live life however I want to live life. And that leads to a circle, and you put a big X in there. Because it doesn't matter if you're a preschooler or if you're a senior adult, we know that when we live in sin, it always leads to brokenness. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that's the reality for every person on the planet. 
All right, notice off to the side of that circle, there's all these squiggly lines, squiggly lines. If you want to know what those squiggly lines are, just ask your parents and grandparents because those squiggly lines are our personal efforts to fix the brokenness in our lives. When we say, you know what, I can probably get my life together. I can, I can get this fix, fixed. Here's what your parents and grandparents would tell you. Our personal efforts to get our life together take us on a winding path that goes further from God. It takes you in the wrong direction. The only way you get back to God is you draw an arrow and it leads to the cross. The only way that we can be made right with God is because Jesus died on the cross for us. That is the most important news, the most important announcement you will ever hear, is the only way we get back to him is through the cross. And we experience the cross of Jesus, and it leads us to live our lives on this planet and for all of eternity for God. Kids, if you will learn to draw that, it'll provide a neat way that you can think about God's work in your life. Adults, if you learn to draw this, you can sit down with your kids, you can sit down with a coworker, you can sit down with a friend and draw it on a napkin and talk about God's work in your life. So that's the top half of your sermon note sheet there. All right, kids, look at the bottom half of your sermon note sheet. There's a blank spot there. Here's what I want you to draw, okay? Draw a down arrow. So we're gonna start by drawing an arrow coming down. Everything good that you have in your life comes from God. He's given us this world, He's given us the Bible. He's given you your family and friends. He's given all these good things in life. All of those come from God. Here's the second arrow I want you to draw. Draw an arrow going back up. Because when we realize that every good thing we have is from God, we respond to him in prayer, in praise. We respond to him in worship. We say, God, thank you for what you've given me. I trust you when things don't go well. I want to live my life for you. So we draw that arrow. Then, here's the next arrow you're going to draw. You're going to draw an arrow coming in from the left side. Because when we experience God's work in our life, he draws us in to be part of his people, what he's doing in the world. He works in your life. He works in your home. He works in your family. He works in this church. He draws you in to be part of his people. Now, here's the key for today. Here's the reason we do all of this, okay? Because today we draw another arrow that goes out to the right. God speaks to us. He came down to us. He sent his only son. He sent us his word. He's given us this world. We worship him. He pulls us in to be part of his people, and then he sends us out to share that good news with others. Now, if you don't have this part where you're coming in and connecting with the people of God, what happens is people will use missions or they will use service projects in order to get away from the church, in order to get away from a group of people. Sometimes people use missions or serving as a way to hide. They don't want their life to be known. They don't want to get connected to the church. They don't want to be connected to people. And we miss being connected to people. Some people get connected to the church, but they don't want to go out. They don't want to go out to people they don't know. They don't want to go out in the world and do missions. And we're just here to say we need to do both of those. Because when God works in our lives and we experience him and we worship him, both of those have to happen. Now that's a great drawing and all, but it doesn't matter unless it matches the Bible, okay? And we want you to see how that comes from the Bible. So look in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, we talked about this last week. 
Very simply, it says, let brotherly love continue. Well, why would, why would that phrase be there? Because chapter 12 ended talking about worship of God. And when we think about worship, we mainly think about coming into a room like this and singing psalms. But worship is your whole life being devoted to the Lord. And the way you show that worship is how you love other believers, how you love one another. And I know God's been working in your hearts this week. You've been telling me about God's work in your life, that we must be a place where we authentically love one another. We love the people of God. But then some of you, some of you hear brotherly love, and you think, isn't that insider-focused? Like, what about people who are not a part of the church? What about people who are left out? What about people who are outside? Does it stop here? Here's why the Bible is so incredible. Watch what the author did. Watch what the Lord did here in verse 2. In verse 2, what does it say? It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This idea here that the people were in danger of neglecting others, of overlooking how God was at work, that they were going to become so insider-focused that they might miss how God was working outside. So, I'm going to say these phrases, then I'm going to duck while you throw tomatoes at me because they're so cheesy, okay? But, but they're so cheesy they work, all right? Here's the way these two verses are set up. Verse 2 is about love of others. Verse 1 is about love of brothers. Ugh cringe. I know. It's tough. But you'll remember it, and it will help. And it's a beautiful picture of how this is set up. Here in verse 2, we're being told to show hospitality to strangers, that our love is meant to go out to people who are not necessarily part of our group. Verse 1 said to love the brothers. In order to be a church, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you love those closest to you, and you love those who are not a part of your group. And man, this is hard. This is hard if you're a teenager. This is hard if you're an adult raising kids. This is hard if you're a senior adult because we live in a world where we tend to either get into our groups and neglect those who are outside or we only go for those who are outside and we neglect being part of a group. And figuring out that tension makes you figure out how to navigate middle school and high school. It makes you figure out how to navigate the workplace, how to be a part of a church. But I'm just here to tell you that as Emmaus, as a followers of Jesus here, we have to understand both pieces of that. We must be people who are showing love to those not like us. The great thing about that phrase, show hospitality to others, is if you just boil that phrase down, it just says love of others. Now the question is, who are the others? Who are we talking about this? This is anybody who is outside of your main group. Anybody who's different than you. Anybody who would be considered an outsider. Might be somebody that lives in a different area. Might be somebody who doesn't look like you. Might be something who, someone who's a different age from you. Might be someone who's just not part of your group. That they would be considered an other. And the Bible says we must love others. We must show hospitality to people who are not part of our group. Now, we're going to talk a lot over the next few minutes about how to do that, how to show love, how to show hospitality to others. Kids, one quick comment for you if you're in elementary school or preschool here. 
you may have heard your parents talk about stranger danger before, okay? Um, and you're going to hear the preacher this morning say a lot that we need to love strangers, and we need to love others, and we need to love outsiders. So here's what you have to do as a kid and as an adult thinking through this. We must be people whose hearts are turned towards strangers. Hearts are turned toward people who are not like us. At the same time, kids, your parents have some wisdom and some life experience that says that sometimes strangers have a way of taking advantage of people who are weaker. Uh, Biblical hospitality is not allowing someone who is stronger to run over someone who is weaker. That's not love. That's not biblical hospitality. And so we can hear this idea about loving others, loving strangers, and sometimes we hear that in such a way that we become a doormat or we just let people run over us. That's not what it's talking about. But here's where our kids are so good for us is our kids notice people who are left out. Our kids notice people who are strangers, and their hearts are drawn to them. And parents, we need that. And kids, help us with that. And at the same time, listen to your parents if they say stranger danger, okay? Mainly I said that so I didn't get lots of emails from your parents this week uh, about this idea of, of loving strangers, but, but, but we need that. Okay, one, one point before we move on from this slide. What in the world is going on with that final phrasing there about some have entertained angels unawares? Like what's happening there? Well, usually in the Bible, when you run into phrases like that that are hard to understand, it's always good to go to the Old Testament and find the connection. And the story in the Old Testament that explains this verse is Genesis chapter 18. A man named Abraham was sitting underneath a tree one afternoon, and three strangers came up. And immediately, Abraham didn't know who they were, but he responded and he provided hospitality for these strangers. These strangers ended up being the Lord and two angels who were with him. And so Abraham provided hospitality, provided love for people that he didn't know. And as he did that, he ended up receiving angels. He ended up receiving people who were doing the work of the Lord. In your Bible, when you run into angels, angels have two main purposes, okay? When you think about angels, the two main purposes of angels— They serve the Lord, and they communicate his messages. They serve the Lord, and they communicate his messages. As we start to talk this morning about hospitality to strangers, the main way people provided hospitality in the New Testament is they served traveling missionaries. Who were doing what? Spreading the message of God. And so when we partner with and serve missionaries who are traveling to share the love of God, you may be helping an angel and not even be aware of it. And we have to be careful here because we end up treating people differently when we find out who they really are. And sometimes the Lord doesn't allow us to see everything he's doing, but he says, I want you to show hospitality. This idea of treating people differently if you don't know who they are, I have a lot of experience this because when I meet people, I do my best to keep the preacher card in my pocket as long as possible. Um, And you would be surprised the way people's language changes when they find out that you're the preacher. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you're interacting with somebody, or I go out to play golf, and I get put with a group of guys to play, and, you know, they're just going off, and they're saying all these things, and they're like, what do you do for a living? Oh, this is going to be good. Like, uh, (laughs) I can't wait to tell them. And then 
they come up with all these like semi-cuss words that aren't really cuss words, and then they're trying to constantly apologize. Here's the reality. We live in a world where people treat one another differently based on whether or not they really know who they are. And we, as the people of God, need to treat people equally because every one of them is created in the image of God, and sometimes God's at work in ways that you can't even understand at the time. So what are we called to do as Christians? We are called to love others, to love outsiders, to love foreigners, to love strangers, to love people not like us by showing hospitality to them. Okay, what is hospitality? Here's what I need you to do in your Bible. I need you to go in your phone or your Bible. I need you to find 3 John, okay? 3 John is not a place in your Bible that you probably go to very often. But to find 3 John in your Bible, probably the easiest way to do this is to go to the very end of your Bible, to the book of Revelation, and then start turning back to the left one or two pages. Or if you're in your phone, just find it in the table of contents and go there. So 3 John is going to put you very close to the end of your Bible. It's one chapter, probably takes up one page in your Bible. It's a book that we don't think about very much in the New Testament, but 3 John is a cool book. I mean, there are so many neat themes going in here, and the main theme in 3 John is the theme of hospitality. What does it mean to show hospitality, especially to traveling missionaries? So I want us this morning to walk through the first 10 verses of 3 John, and see what hospitality looks like. See what it looks like to love others, to love outsiders who are not like us. All right, let's get started here. We're going to walk through part of 3 John. It begins this way. 3 John, verse 1. The elder, this is John, the elder John who's been around for a long time, leader in the churches. The elder is writing to the beloved Gaius whom John says, I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Okay, so think of John as an older man, this older leader in the churches, and he is writing a letter to this other church leader that he has great respect and great love for, this this other leader named Gaius. And he's writing this letter, and there's this really neat lesson for prayer in verse 2. Verse 2 here where it says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. When you are praying for people in your life, you're often praying for their physical health, something that's going on in their life physically. But let me encourage you to make sure you're also praying for their soul, for their spiritual life. Sometimes in your Sunday school class, you can go through the prayer list, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying this to, to make light of or make fun of, but you go through a prayer list and, you know, it's somebody's big toe and then it's their, like, distant cousin's next door neighbor, their cat got sick, and you've got all these things, which matter. All those things matter to the Lord. But we look at our prayer list and how much of those prayers, how many of those prayers have to do with a person's soul, with their spiritual life. And here's this beautiful example from the elder John saying, I pray that you are doing well physically, and I'm also praying for your soul, for your spiritual life. And as the people of God, as the church, we want to make sure we are praying for both of those. Verse 3. Let's look at verse 3 here. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. 
I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So people from John's church have traveled to Gaius' church, and now they've come back and they said, that guy's doing a great job. Like, he is serving the church. He's sticking to the truth. Verse 4 that we just looked at right there, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Parents, take a picture of that verse and put it in your phone. Find a way to put that verse in your house. That is our prayer as parents and grandparents. That the greatest joy in my life is not my kids' academic or athletic success. The greatest joy in my life is not that my kids will move out successfully. The greatest joy we have as parents is to know that our kids are walking in the truth of Jesus. Compass parents, you guys are taking that first step. You're investing in these kids. 3 John verse 4 Keep it in front of you. Pray it for your family. Pray it for your kids. The greatest joy you will have as parents and grandparents is to see your kids walking after Jesus, following him. Verse 5. Okay, he's talking about this work that Gaius is doing. He says, Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Here's our key word. Strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. Okay, get this picture in your mind, or this is not going to make any sense at all, okay? You've got to get this picture in your mind. Old man John has this church leader, Gaius, that he loves and he wants to check on. So John sends people from his church to travel and see how things are going at Gaius' church. They come in, and the people at Gaius' church, they don't know John's people, but they receive them in. They love them as strangers, Middle of verse 6, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In the ancient world, it was a dangerous thing to stay at a hotel, and these hotels brought up all kinds of bad connotations and meanings. And you're like, that's not the ancient world. That's 2024 as well. Like, uh, it can be a dangerous thing to stay at a hotel. And to stay at a hotel brings up all these ideas, especially in the ancient world. And so as missionaries and church people, Christians were traveling around, they needed other believers to bring them in and to care for them and then to send them on their way. Right there in verse 6 that we were just looking at, it says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Here's a question. In the church, where do leftover couches go? They go to the youth room or the missionaries, all right? So in the church world, if you have something left over or aging a little bit or wearing down, you give it to the teenagers or you give it to the missionaries. This verse right here says you will do well to send these missionaries out on their journey in a manner worthy of God. When we are investing in strangers and people we don't know and traveling missionaries, we invest in their lives with the very best that we have because we are doing that for God's glory. They are going out spreading the message of the Lord. Verse 8, Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. When we are supporting missionaries, we are doing the work as if we're doing it. It's like we're doing it with them. Verse 9, John says in verse 9, I have written something 
to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Ooh, Diotrephes is the villain in this story. He's the bad guy, okay? He doesn't want these things to happen. Look at verse 10 to find out what Diotrephes does in the church. Verse 10, so if I come, I will bring up what Diotrephes is doing. What's he doing? Number one, he's talking wicked nonsense against us. You want to know something that will hurt a church? Gossip and people that are talking nonsense and talking against the things that are happening. Diotrephes is doing this here. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers who are coming. So these missionaries are traveling around. These strangers are coming. They're showing up. And Diotrephes says, we got enough trouble of our own. You go find your own help. And he doesn't receive these outsiders who are coming into the church. And strike three, he stops those who wants to do this and puts them out of the church. When a church refuses to receive outsiders, when a church refuses to receive strangers, it will end up destroying that church. A church that is ultimately insider-focused will one day cease not to be a church. As the people of God, we are called to receive and to support one another. Point number one, biblical hospitality always celebrates the work of Jesus. When you think about biblical hospitality, showing love to others, when you do that, the number one thing you are doing is you are celebrating the work of Jesus. When I think about our welcome team here at Emmaus, and when I think about us being a church, one of my favorite verses about this is Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why do we welcome people coming from the outside? Why do we welcome people who are not like us? Why do we show hospitality to others? Because that's exactly how Jesus treated us. We did not deserve to be made right with God. We did not deserve to be able to come near to God, but because of what Jesus did, we were able to do that. And so when we understand the grace that we have received, we are going to extend that grace and hospitality to people who might feel separated from God, might feel like they don't deserve to come and be a part of the church. I think for most of us who have grown up in church and been around church for a long time, it's almost impossible for us to understand how hard it is to walk into a church building for the first time. Or if you've been away from church for a while, the pain in your stomach, the emotions you feel when you try to walk back into church, the courage that that takes, and the people of God should be so full of grace and mercy at that moment to receive people in because we know what God has done in our lives. And so when we understand that, we are going to celebrate Jesus, the work of Jesus, by receiving people in. Number two, when we practice hospitality, it builds up the church. It strengthens the church because we learn to support one another as our hands are open with our resources, our homes are open to people, we're trying to support one another. And then we are able to see unity built in the church, not just people like us, but all kinds of people that God brings in. And when we do that, we advance the gospel because the gospel always breaks down barriers between people. The gospel always crosses boundaries. Today in a lot of churches is George Leal, uh, missionary focus day. George Leal was the first missionary sent out from America to go overseas to share the gospel, and he was a freed slave. 
a black man was the first American man sent out to go overseas to share the gospel. The gospel constantly is crossing boundaries, constantly reaching out to people as we understand hospitality. I want to show you a video that gives a picture of the impact that biblical hospitality can have. Watch this video. And so as a fish out of water, I came here and I went from physical trauma to emotional trauma. I was the kid who never got invited to, uh, you know, uh, spend the night at anybody's house. I was the kid yeah. that saw the birthday party invitations for the skating rink get handed to every kid in the class but me. And so being this fish out of water made me pretty bitter about uh, God. To me, it was God's fault that we'd escaped Iran. You know, religion and yep. God to me was just kind of a combined thing. I had right. this, a lot of misunderstandings. And so uh, I just continued to get more and more bitter at God when we came to the States. Yeah. And I was this outcasted kid who kind of ate his lunch alone every day. Mm. And again, felt like there was this emotional hosti hostility mm. of even abandonment, which mm. is just a weapon of the enemy as well. Well, and, and I know for those listening, I mean, you're getting to hear firsthand what people feel like when they're the other. And that's mm -hmm. what David's family went through. It's what you went through. Right. Sometimes for, for many people, like it's hard for them to know what would that have felt like? I think you just heard it. Yeah. You can feel completely isolated, completely alone. Now, there's this moment in your story, and I want you to share it with everybody, yeah. where uh, you get invited to go to a church. Right. And, and you, you going to church was not an option, really, in your family. Right. They didn't want you to go to church. The, the, the Christian church was not the place you went because yeah. you'd grown up in a Muslim family. So what happened when you get this invitation to church? Yeah, so fast forward from the years where I was kind of the outcasted kid. And really in high school, there was a bit of a reboot yeah. when my dad felt sorry for me always being the loner. Yeah. So he gave me this extreme makeover. And I became this kid with the right haircut, the right clothes. You and parachute pants? I, I had parachute pants. Okay. I had the members-only jacket, all of that. <laughs> you know, nine swatches and uh -huh. the whole thing, product of the 80s, man. And so, you know, we... Uh, we my high school years became these years where I found fabricated hospitality, you know? And so I found out how to end up at the right lunchroom table, how to dump the right girl before she could dump me, mm. how to be cold to people, to be perceived as cool to people. Mm. But on the inside, I was just as empty. And so high school years felt like at least emotional duct tape was putting, being yeah. put on some of the emotions. And then I graduated from high school and I hit this reality that all my friends were going away. Mm. There were these people who had begun a relationship with my dad. My dad owned a French restaurant in Birmingham. And so when I asked my dad if I can go to church, instead of saying no, he said, what's the name of the church? And the reason that he asked the name was because uh, there were these people from this church, uh, Shades Mountain Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, who had come to my dad's restaurant to eat. My dad owned the restaurant. And they'd seen how he was shorthanded on wait staff. Yeah. And instead of complaining about the bad service that they were getting, the worship pastor of the church and several members had quietly gotten up during lunch rush and waited on tables at my dad's restaurant to help him out. Mm -hmm. Then they went back the next day, Gabe, and waited on tables again. And then a guy named Aubrey Edwards, who was the worship pastor, invited my dad to choir practice, my military Iranian <laughs> dad. But because they were so kind to him, mm -hmm. Romans 2, kindness leads to repentance. My dad said yes. And so my dad went to choir practice. Wow. And the worship pastor took a piece of paper and said, everyone who sings in the choir needs to a volunteer at this man's restaurant, he needs help. And so for two weeks, they'd parachuted in and they'd shown hospitality. They'd shown kindness to my dad. And so they'd waited on tables and they were uh -huh. bus boys. And so That's fast amazing. forward 
two weeks later, I'm asking my dad if I can go to church. And instead of saying no, my dad said, what's the name of it? And it happened to be the same church as the people that had helped him out. And so I'm, a, I'm literally a byproduct of, I, I was allowed to go to church by my yeah. Muslim father yeah. because of a kindness act, because of the hospitality yeah. that was shown to my father. And then you and became so, a believer, yeah. like in that story. And Absolutely. did your family come to Christ? Yeah, so I, I became, a, I went to this church and then they started coming to my house and sharing the gospel with me. And uh, after eight weeks of hearing the gospel, one night I became a Christian. My parents weren't devout as Muslims until the night I became a Christian and they became instantly <laughs> devout. And I got kicked out of the house for becoming a believer. But within five years, I saw my entire family coming to the Lord. Oh, God, yeah, man, that... So that story there, uh, that's a gentleman named David Nasser who is being interviewed there by Gabe Lyons. But that picture of how hospitality breaks down walls that leads to an opportunity for the gospel and people respond to that. All right, let's wrap this up this morning. What does this mean for us as Emmaus? A couple of ways that we need to respond as a church. Number one, this place, and I believe that it is and it will continue to be, needs to be the most welcoming place on the planet. <laughs> that when people come in, when they come to church, they, and this is an impossible mind shift to imagine, but if someone is not connected to the things of the Lord, that they would think, I can come to church and there I will be received. There people will show me hospitality. There I can come, even if I'm not a part of the group, even if I'm not like them, I will be loved and receive, that we will welcome others, that we will open our homes and our lives. Amanda and I were talking about this weekend, and, and we think about hospitality, and, and immediately we think, I have to invite somebody in, I've got to have something in the crock pot, and then they're going to overtake my house. Sometimes it is that. Like, sometimes that's what hospitality means. But a lot of times, and Amanda made this point to me this week, hospitality just means being hospitable to someone, just being open to them. Open your schedule to someone, open your eyes and see people who need compassion and love, that we are not driven to be cool, we're driven to be warm. We want to be a place where people can come in, that we will partner with missionaries, that we'll understand what it is to encourage people who are going out to share the good news of Jesus, and then finally that we'll be a church where we are giving, we are going because we want to see the good news of Jesus taken to the entire, entire planet, entire world. But we will not do that if we don't love others. And we will not love others if we don't understand what God has done in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray. Fathers, we go home in a few minutes and we think about the preschoolers today and how much fun this has been. We think about the baptisms that have happened, gathering together to sing and to pray. God, would you go would you send us out to think about what it means to love others? Who are the others? Who are the outsiders? Who are the strangers in our lives? Maybe it's somebody who's in a different group at school. Maybe we struggle to love somebody in a different political party or somebody who has a different ethnic background. Maybe there's tension in our homes. God, whatever it is, Remind us that the gospel breaks down those barriers and the gospel calls us to cross those boundaries, to reach out to people. God, I pray if people in our community, in our world are hurting, that the church would be the most inviting, the most receiving, the most welcoming place. And make Emmaus that kind of place, that kind of people that we show hospitality to others so that they would come to know how good you are 
that they would come to understand what Jesus has done to come and to die and to provide salvation. And God, we do all of that because we want to point people to Christ. We want to make much of Christ. God, we want to be a church where we love one another deeply. And God, we want to be a church where we go out and we love others in this world around us. Make us that kind of people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.